0: We start a new series of messages today. Um, This series is called It's Not What You Think. Anybody ever been in that position where you had to say that to someone? Didn't look right, didn't seem right, and you had to explain to them it's not what you think? Jesus is going to basically say to his audience here on this hill as he's preaching, hey man, everything that you've heard about God and, and how you should please him and could please him, it's probably not the right message. It's not what you think. And I'm going to help you understand what really matters to him. He's, he's going to pivot from what we've been studying in the first uh, five weeks or the last five weeks of, of our time together. We've been looking at these blessings. He describes for us what life is meant to be like. He says, this is the God-approved life, the blessed life. Blessed are you are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who Love mercy and are pure in heart. Blessed are those who seek peace. He describes for us the life he hopes for us. It's almost like he's he's saying, hey, man, learn this and remember this. It's like when when our kids leave our house, hey, remember who you are. You're representing uh, me and and our home and our home's values, and and you need to make good choices out there. That's the last thing I said to all my kids as they were growing up in our house and they were getting ready to head out for the evening. Make good choices. Choices. Didn't always work. But, uh, but those are the things that Jesus starts this sermon with. These are the, uh, the, the things that God approves of in life, the things that he esteems most in us. He, he bridged from that, and last week we talked about how the reason that we're meant to live that way, in part, is so that we can be attractional. Uh, we can draw others into this life that he calls blessed. If we live this life, if we... Uh, actively seek to be God's salt and God's light, then others will join us in this life that God has designed. For the next couple of months, we're gonna go where Jesus goes next in his sermon. Namely, to these clarifications of how to live life right. He's gonna talk about righteousness. Today, he's gonna tell us that our righteousness has to exceed that uh, of those called the Pharisees and scribes. In that day, in the Jewish culture, they were like the one percenters when it came to righteousness. They were, they were nailing it. They were doing it exactly as people thought you were supposed to do it. But Jesus is going to say to this crowd and to us, your righteousness has to go beyond, has to be different from what you've always thought it needed to be. Because life with God, right living for God, it's not what you think. Maybe not what you have thought. Jesus is going to start verse after verse in the following chapters with, you have heard it said, but I say to you, here's what we have been going on, but here's what is true about what God hopes for, the right life. In essence, he's going to grant us his plan. Anybody ever looked at a plan? There's a whole stack of these in our archives in our office. This is like from way back, like 20 years ago when we were first building this property. Uh, It's a plan that never actually got used because it was for a different idea for our parking lot. But has anybody ever looked at a plan like this? Maybe a map? Anybody ever been looking at it and been like, I don't understand this at all? And someone who knows plans or maps walks up to you and says, here you go, buddy. Anybody ever been there? Here's what I think happens a lot of times with people when they come to God's word. They may not literally be holding it upside down but they are certainly misconstruing what God's plan for life really is. That's why we hang out here on Sundays, I hope, so that together, not just you from me, but me from God before I get here, we can understand and discern what God's plan for our lives is and follow him in it and be shaken from the usuals. Has anybody got a, a usual life? Like, do you usually come here on Sunday morning and that's why you showed up? I pray it goes beyond that. But we are, as human beings, kind of susceptible to the usual. Like uh, before the pandemic came and all that stuff, uh, I went to this restaurant two, three times a week. It was where I usually ate breakfast. And I would walk in uh, the door, and I haven't deviated in my order for 10 years. Somebody got that, uh, that place where they just know you, they know what you want, and for me, like one of the most comfort, comforting things in existence is to be able to walk in and have someone, you know, in front of a girl say, I've started it for you, I saw you park. And then you sit down at your booth and, and there's your drink as, as you like it. And it, you know, two minutes later because it's already been begun, there's your food. That's just, mm, that's the pocket of life. That's the comfort that I want right there. I want the usual, Right? Let's, uh, let's run a little test. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have parked your car this morning where you usually park your car? Look around. Look at all the creatures of habit in here. Yeah, I get here at like four, 4.30. I park right there. If you ever, my car's the black Toyota. It's always under those trees over there because there's shade, duh, right? But that's where I park my car. It's not an assigned spot. You could park there if you beat me there, get up early. But that's where I park my car. Same, same show of, uh, you know, uh, sign here or whatever. Um, how many of you are sitting pretty much in the same seat that you always sit in? I can tell you right now. I, I stand up here and look at you, and that's where you sit, and that's where you guys sit, and that's where you guys sit and have sat for years because we like the usual. But here's what I want Today. I want us to have an unusual service because what Jesus is going to say in his teaching today is that probably the usual, not necessarily where you park your car or where you sit in the church, but, but when it comes to the spiritual, the usual is going to trend towards you making God who you want him to be and less towards God making you who he wants you to be. And it's... It's sneaky. We can become like the Pharisees, as we're gonna study today, real quick and become self-righteous. Or we can become like others, as Jesus addresses this crowd, who have kind of picked and chosen the commandments that they think are important and just don't pay attention to the other things that God asks of us in life. And we can kind of slide into those two camps. We can settle for the usual, thinking it's really good when it's not. Here's what I believe about God's church. Every time we come together, God wants us to open his word, read it together, be impacted by its message, and then if our usual does not line up with his righteousness, we change. We we don't leave here self-satisfied in our enough We seek to understand what he desires for our life and to comply to the likeness of his son rather than to some idea that we have of who he is. In our verses today, God gives us a kind of blueprint. A blueprint, or the beginnings of a blueprint that in in the weeks to follow, we're going to... be able to look at more closely in in, in very specific areas. He's going to talk about uh, marriage and lust, and he's going to talk about uh, uh, anger and revenge. He's going to talk about all these things that all of us wrestle with, and he's going to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He's going to clarify things for us so that we can walk out of here, again, not with just our usual, but with us understanding his plan for our lives, his purposes, his righteousness, and we can join him in that two things today as uh, he kind of introduces the rest of this Sermon on the Mount as we know it to be in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. He's gonna say, first of all, that I'm not throwing out everything that you've already known. That's kind of comforting, isn't it? Jesus didn't come in and just completely, you know, flip the uh, apple cart over, as it were. He he says, listen, man, I'm I'm not throwing out the Old Testament, I'm gonna build on the law and the prophets and, and actually complete them. I'm gonna fulfill what they have required and lead us further into the plan as God would have us be led. But then, in uh, the second half, the the last two verses that we're gonna cover today, uh, he's gonna clarify what God's plan truly requires. In a kind of 35,000 foot level, he's gonna make it very clear that God wants our obedience, full obedience, not kind of cafeteria style pick and choose. If you wanna be great in the kingdom, you obey the least of the commands, all implied there, all of the commands, and teach others to do the same. And then he's going to tell us we're raising the bar. I'm not going to abolish the law and prophets, but I am going to tell you that the way you've been observing the things that God has revealed to you, uh, they're way off the ranch. They're way outside of what my hopes for you and God's hopes, the Father's hopes are for you. And so your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. In kind of one sentence, Jesus is saying here, I've come to complete and to clarify God's plan for our lives. So let's walk through those together. Jesus, first of all, came to complete God's plan. Look what it says in verse 17. Jesus uh, finishes his whole thing on the salt and light, and he says this to his, his listeners. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to abolish, not to abolish them. Oh, I've got to be careful how you read. Let me slow down. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? I should just let you guys read this stuff. It's easier if I do it that way. Hey, he came to fulfill. He came to complete to, to, to bring to fruition everything that God had started uh, from creation until then as he spoke to them. Uh, he is, in, in essence, um, answering a question that might have been asked audibly. We don't have everything in our Bibles. We don't know what was going on during this. Maybe someone raised their hand and said, Hey, Jesus, you don't look like any other teacher we've ever had before. You're doing things we've never seen before. You're saying things that we've never heard before. Some are saying that you're like so far away from where we've been that you're like completely other. Are you a false teacher? Are you someone who's just going, you know, completely away from what God has revealed to us in the law and the prophets? Law and the prophets here are basically code in, in the Hebrew uh, world for the the. the early scriptures. The law is the first five books of your Old Testament. We call them the Pentateuch, but it's where the law in Exodus comes down to Moses. It's explained in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and, and it's basically what governed the Jewish religion at the time. The prophets, the prophets are, are basically all the guys that God sent to uh, do two things. One, warn Israel about an impending doom. They were kind of like the uh, the the railroad crossing lights and the gate that comes down. I was uh, I was trying to cross over by over where Home Depot is uh, off of front street. Does anybody know where I am? There's a, there's a there's a railroad right along that road, and and I could hear the bell, but I was already starting to kind of turn. Has anybody been there? The panic. This gate's kind of come down, right? So I punch it to get through there, and I look back in my rearview mirror, and you know, thankfully, the train was still a couple seconds off, but. Who's grateful for the railroad crossing thing? Anybody grateful for that? Makes that whole driving piece a little bit, you know, safer. Be kind of a bummer if you didn't know the train was coming and you just minding your own business, all of a sudden, ah, train. Anyway, all right. Uh, but that's what the prophets were. They were the bells, the lights, the, the gates. They were basically saying, hey, there's a train coming. God's gonna judge you. But the prophets always came as a result of God saying, you know what, these bozos here in Israel have gotten so far away from the law and the things that I told them that they needed to, to choose and to live and to, and to you know, honor me with. Now, they've gotten so far away from my plan for their lives, I've got to send this, this calamity, this, this punishment. I'm, I'm going to give them a warning. That's your job, Isaiah, Jeremiah. But if they don't respond, the train is coming. It's a law and prophets, code word for Old Testament. And Jesus has come on the scene now. And people are wondering if he's going to take a zig, you know, go away from the law and the prophets. And he's like, no, 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 no. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, to deviate uh, away from them in any way. Even though I, I don't do what your rabbis have normally done. He doesn't teach like a typical rabbi. He, he wasn't steeped in the schools or the shuls, as they say in Hebrew, uh, in, in the rabbi culture. He, he didn't have a rabbi that he followed. Almost every rabbi, well, certainly every rabbi had kind of a mentor that would, you know, they would kind of grow up under. Uh, he taught with great authority. Rabbis back in those days never spoke for themselves. They would always reference, it was like case law in a courtroom. They would always reference the previous rabbis and the things that they had said about God's word. He spoke with authority. On his own authority he would say things. And then he was leading his disciples to do things that people thought were just patently against God's law. Chief among them were the, the Sabbath rules. Remember all the times that the disciples and Jesus would be doing something on the Sabbath and, and the Pharisees and the other Jews would come to them and be like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be plucking grain from the fields and feeding yourself on the Sabbath. That's work. And you know, Three commands in on the Big Ten, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. They were uh, taking their understanding of the Sabbath and its limitations and, and projecting those on that command. And, and Jesus had come to basically shake things up and show them, no, this is what this really means. The Sabbath is not for man. It's, 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 excuse me, it's, it's, it's not against man, it's for man. It's for us to flourish and be reconnected with God. Don't have time to get into that. But Jesus says to these concerned people who wondered if he was going to go away from the law, no, 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 I'm here to fulfill it, to complete it. Now, this is real quick, but just so you know, there's three divisions basically in in the law of the Old Testament. There's the civic. Everybody say civic. There's a ceremonial. Say ceremonial. And then there's the moral law. Everybody say moral. Okay, so... Uh, let's start with the moral law. The moral law is basically the principles that God lays out for Israel that are meant for all peoples at all times. They are his eternal good represented in the, in the laws or the commandments that he gives. So like the Ten Commandments. Those, those basically are the, the headings for lots of other laws that come after them. But, but they're the, the big ideas that God has for, for a life that is honorable and, and right and one that is moral and following him. The civic law gets into the, the laws that Israel had that governed its uh, country as a theocracy. We live in a democracy, um, and you know, we get to pick our leaders and stuff like that. At this time, or, or historically in, his, in, in Israel's uh, you know, existence, God has always intended to be their governor, their president, their king. And As such, he had given Israel, through Moses, these laws that would govern the Jewish people the civic laws. And then finally, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and have ever been like, why did they do that? A lot of things that God requires of the Jewish religion are called ceremonial laws. So you had to you know, do certain cleansings before you'd go into the temple. And when you were in the temple, you had to give certain sacrifices for certain sins. And there was this code that is greatly detailed in Leviticus as to how God uh, wants us uh, to come to him in faith for the atonement of our sins. There's sacrifices and feasts and fasts. So Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I came to make sure that I, first of all, kept every phase of it, all three phases. Jesus, just so you know, if you read the Bible, was perfect in keeping the civic law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law of God. But he he doesn't just fulfill the law in that sense, he comes as its completion, He comes as kind of the capper to the story that God has started in the law. He, uh, in essence, is like uh, the full grown plant uh, where the law and the things provided for us in the Old Testament are kind of the sprout of that plant. Uh, He's like the completed building, whereas the law is the foundations and the beginnings of the walls and the structure of who God is or, or what God expects. I drive down 60 every day, pretty much the same um, path, and uh, right across from Stowers uh, Funeral Home, there's a bank that got started and never got finished. Has anybody seen that? Uh, I think the reason that happened is because they bought the bank next door and they just moved in there, and they're like, well, we don't need to finish this one. We got a perfectly good bank right over here. I think that's the story. But there on our main street is this half-baked unbuilt building Got a bunch of bricks on it. Grass is growing up around it. They're just hoping that someone will buy it and probably finish it out like it is, maybe knock it down and start over. Uh, But that's kind of the picture that we have here of Jesus coming into the story. He's like, it's time, I'm here. God has started his plan, originated his plan in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. But I've come so that his plan can be finished in me. He goes on to assure these, uh, these listeners. He says in 18, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, uh, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Iota is a Greek letter. It's the letter I in our language. Uh, it's just this little scratch. Uh, but it's also uh, a word that was used in the Greek language to refer uh, to a, a Hebrew letter. The Hebrew letter yod kind of like Yoda, but not. Anyway, but Yod, it's the smallest Hebrew letter in the Hebrew language, 66,000 Yods in your Old Testament. And Jesus says, hey, listen, everything that is said in the Old Testament down to the very uh, 66,000th Yod, I've come to accomplish those things. He goes even further in his analogy. He says, not a dot, Now, this dot would refer to uh, the seraph, which is a little accent that goes like an apostrophe that goes on some of the letters that are in our Latin languages and things like that. Hebrews or the Hebrew language has the same kind of accent mark. It changes the sound of the vowel or the word, but there's too many to count almost. I'm sure you could if you wanted to, but there's so many more of those than just the Yodas or the Yodes in the Hebrew language. Jesus is basically saying this, I'm not going to leave any of the parts out. Everything that God has intended, I'm here to fulfill. That should comfort us, because uh, a lot of times in, in human existence, uh, we end up with parts leftovers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You assemble something. Who's been there? You thought you followed meticulously these instructions of how this is supposed to go together, and you still have like three screws left after you're done. Anybody been there? It's pretty bad when there's only four screws to begin with, but uh, but a lot of times people come to God's word and 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 they wonder, you know, is this is this all there is? is it, and, but Jesus says, listen, there is more than enough here. There's everything that is here, I am here to complete and to fulfill. Uh, nothing will be left out. So Jesus comes to complete God's plan. But secondly, he comes to clarify God's plan couple clarifications. The first one's this. His first clarification is that there's no shortcuts. All the commandments matter. Every one of the commandments is is something that God has commanded for a reason. You need to take them seriously. Look what it says in verse 19. It says, therefore, whoever relaxes, this reminds me of what we talked about last week, whoever loses their saltiness, whoever goes a little dim in their brightness, Whoever just kind of gets a little lax in their living for God, someone who uh, relaxes one of the least of these commandments and then goes out and teaches others to do the same, here's the deal. They may be included in the kingdom of heaven because as he's going to go on to teach, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, that's Paul, but he's going to talk about whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish and have everlasting life. You may enter the kingdom by your faith, But God judges greatness in the kingdom by how careful you are to adhere, not just to the rules that are easy for you to keep, not just to the things that you like about the law, but to the least of the things, to the the least um, seemingly least important commands to you. I want you to keep all of them. He says, whoever does, or whoever... uh, is is, uh, lax on the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they'll be called least, but whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. I've done this since I think I've been here. I don't know when I started this. Has anybody seen me do this before? What am I gonna say? This is how we kind of live our life with God, right? Here, God, you can have all this stuff. In fact, when your commandments touch these areas of my life, I will comply. I promise today that I'm not going to go out and rob a 7-Eleven. I'm going to do that for you, God. You're welcome. And I'm going to try really hard not to break the law about murder. And, and I'll, I'll be careful, you know, in this thing and in that thing. And, and you can have this. Listen, you can have my Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Here you go. And you can have, you know, my prayer time on the way to work for those five minutes. Here you go. And, and we do this with God, don't we? Here's what I'm willing to give, but where's my other hand? It's back here. Why? Because we've reasoned in our minds, this is enough. Here you go, God. Take it. Hope you like it. That's what I'm willing to give. What did Jesus just say? God's got commands that touch every area of our life. God's got commands uh, that he wants us to keep even when no one else is watching. God's got commands that are for our good and for our glory, and they all matter. And I want you to be serious about every one of them. And I don't want you to think that, ah, grace will cover that. That's a message of the modern church. Ah, grace. Grace is awesome. I can do whatever I want, and grace will cover it. Hey, listen, that is thankfully true. Is everybody grateful for that? But because we have received grace, this is what Paul says in Romans it's not so that we can go out and sin all the more. We receive grace, and as a thank you to God for his grace, we take very seriously everything that he commands us to do. Now, we've got to make sure we understand what he's commanding us to do, and that'll be the next verse. But we need to be serious about honoring him with what he's asked. James takes this argument up in his uh, letter, and in James chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point of that law, has become what? Guilty of the whole thing. Ouch! That seems kind of extreme. I blew it once in this little way that I don't even think really counts. I mean, what about this, God? But God says, no, it all counts. It all matters. This pick-and-choose, cafeteria-style righteousness is a righteousness of license. We feel because of grace we can do what we want. We can, in and of ourselves, determine what matters in God's kingdom. We kind of, instead of being created in his, his image, we create God in our image and we say, This is what I'm willing to give. But Jesus makes it clear. If we want success in this life with Him, if we want greatness in the kingdom that He has set aside for us, our personal obedience in even the least of the things He commands. Our willingness to proclaim those and teach those to others and hold those up for those around us. Those are the reasons that He will call us great in His kingdom. Second clarification comes in verse 20. God's plan has no shortcuts, but God's plan also requires probably more than we might have originally thought. Has anybody noticed that in life? Who's been a Christian for a while? Anybody been a Christian for a while? I know some of you have. Uh, I hope this doesn't describe you. Made it, nailed this, got it down. Have several T-shirts. Every time this church opens its door, I get a T-shirt. It's so cool. (laughs) But I've arrived. Uh, That should never, ever be the mentality or the attitude of the Christ follower. Positionally, thank God, in Christ, we have. If we are here in faith in Him, we have all arrived. Right? That's not getting taken from us. Isn't that cool? When we put our faith in Jesus, there is an arrival of sorts. We are in the kingdom of heaven. But when it comes to our sanctification, that's salvation. When it comes to our sanctification, we are always at work. Uh, The scriptures tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's It's a puzzling phrase, but it basically means, hey, man, you never arrive. When it comes to Christ's likeness, there's always something more. There's always chances to regress. Has anybody noticed that? I just got back to a good week of eating and uh, eating clean and the things that I'm supposed to eat. I feel so much better. I don't know why I stop. It's those animal crackers. You guys kept bringing me animal crackers. Anyway, um, but there's all kinds of things that we kind of ebb and flow. We go up and down in. Is anybody with me? Like m- most of the time, I'm not telling you something new. I'm just reminding you of what you already know. You just have to choose it, and we choose it not and go up and down. God's going to say through Jesus here, hey, my plan, it's probably different from what you thought. It requires more than you initially anticipated. Look what it says in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he's talking about salvation. The previous verse he was talking about, once we're in the kingdom of heaven, obedience and and, and teaching obedience is, is is the key to greatness there. And now he's going to say to this crowd, who's kind of just an early adapting crowd, they're, they're just kind of beginning to follow Jesus. He's like, let me shake you up a little bit. Entrance to the kingdom of heaven is not conferred on the Pharisees or the scribes. You've got to do better. There's got to be more to your righteousness if you hope to join God in his kingdom. Everybody knows who the scribes are? They were basically the Xerox machines, which is I was thinking about that today, that's a very old statement, there's no such thing as a Xerox machine anymore, anybody grow up with a, who liked to smell the papers when they came off the Xerox machine at school? Come on, admit it, that stuff was awesome. (laughs) Now we just scan and send and, but that's basically who the scribes, they were the scanning machine, there, that's more modern, they were the scanners of ancient Israel. They would take the, 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 the scrolls that God's word had been written on and they would meticulously copy them. They would spent their whole lives dedicating to maybe just uh, writing on another papyrus this one uh, you know, uh, prophet or this one book of the law. It, it, just so you know, if the scribes messed up once, no you know, delete, 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 retype. If they messed up in their copying of a, of a script, of a, of a scroll, they threw the whole scroll out. Can you imagine being on the last chapter of Psalms and, and you messed up one line of Psalm 150 and you're like, Aah! and you get a whole, I mean, that's, that's how they lived. But because they were so meticulous and so dedicated to the right copying of God's word, they knew it backwards and forwards. They were authorities On God's law. The Pharisees were good friends of the scribes. Pharisee actually is a word that means separate or separatist. And they had separated themselves from the rest of the pack, as it were, in Israel. They had had elevated themselves in righteousness, as far as they were concerned, because they were able to keep the law better than anybody else. In fact, it had kind of created their own version of the law. Jesus is telling this parable. I'll read it in just a second. About a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee kind of gives his resume as he talks to God and thanks him that he's, he's not like all these sinners and especially like, not like this bozo. He, he says, I fast twice a week and I, I give a tithe of everything that I own. Well, the tithe thing, that's in the law tithe off of what you have. But fasting twice a week, that's a Pharisee makeup. In fact, in, in the ceremonial law of Israel, you, you were required really just to fast the one time, once a year. Uh, you could fast other times, but, but it was not in necessarily the keeping of the law that you would do so. You know what the, the Pharisees were like? They were like the cool kids. Uh, they were the ones who, who had you know, the, the next level stuff as far as was, uh, you know, obeying the law was concerned. I remember starting to play paintball when it was first becoming a thing. Does anybody remember who's played paintball? Anybody played paintball? So you would go out to these fields and these guys would rent their paintball equipment to you. I gotta tell you, the first time I went playing paintball, I should have just thrown the paintballs. The gun that I had was so lousy. I could have thrown them harder than this gun was spitting them out, right? So of course, everybody in my high school group gets these lame, you know, single-shot paintball shooters. Uh, and, and then the kids who lived around the paintball field and who frequented it uh, would show up with their bazookas. You know what I'm talking about? Like these oozy paintball guns. And you could fire 700 paintballs in a second. And, and it wasn't a fair fight. We'd be like, and they'd be like, Rrrr. and i got to be honest with you, I was like a 30-year-old youth pastor. I had paintball gun envy that day. I wanted whatever they had. And here's the Pharisees coming to the paintball field of the Jewish faith. And everybody else has got these lame, you know, levels of obedience and adherence to the law. Well, they weren't only keeping the laws that everybody knew. They made up a bunch of them on their own. They were holding the cool gun. Everybody aspired to be like them. They were the original legalists. You know what legalism is? Legalism is is keeping the rules for self-righteousness sake. I'm going to do all the things that I'm supposed to do, not for the glory of God, not to please him even, but to elevate myself in the eyes of man. To be able to look in the mirror and be like, I'm pretty good. That's who the Pharisees were. Jesus says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you can't get in the kingdom. If you read the Gospels, you're gonna see Jesus go after these uh, two groups on the regular. Now, turnabout's fair play. They kept trying to figure out ways where they could catch him in, in you know, wrong things and, and accuse them of what they finally did accuse him of, which was heresy and sedition, and, and, and be able to trump things up so that they could you know, do what they finally were able to do, uh, send him to his death on a cross. But Jesus was not afraid of these guys at all. Matthew 23, There's seven different ways that he, um, you know, places woe on the the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, you Pharisees. One of my favorites is this one. In Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and what? Lawlessness cut to the heart. He told these guys who were so confident in their obedience of the law that they were lawless on the inside. I told you at the beginning, I want this service to be unusual, so I'm gonna pivot to my ending there. Because here's what I'm hoping you're hearing as Jesus is saying what he's saying. First of all, I didn't come to take this in a different direction. I am the fulfillment of God's plan. As started in the Old Testament, I, I came to obey all the laws and then to become ultimately for all who are here on earth, the sacrifice, uh, the, the savior that they look to so that you might have life in the kingdom of heaven. In any crowd that I ever preach to, there's two kinds of people. I can guess kind of, I mean, racials, you know, there's all kinds of differences and all kinds of different age. There's all, but there's essentially two kinds of people in every crowd I talk to. There are those who have met Jesus and by faith received him and what he has given him. He is their savior. And then there are those who have not And so I want to talk to those of you who are there this morning, however few of there might be uh, As as you live life without the Savior, I want you to understand that God created you for himself. Sin has separated you from him. All have sinned, the Bible tells us, and fallen short of the glory of God. But he loves you and I and the rest of the world so much that he has provided a way. His name is Jesus. He has come as the completion of God's plan, as the ultimate sacrifice, so that through his Death on the cross, his resurrection, through his payment, your sins are forgiven. And he longs for you to know that, to believe that, to own that, to choose that. And so today as we finish our service, if that's you and you want to understand that on a deeper level, I want you to come up. I'll be hanging out here. I would love to talk to you about how you can make Jesus the Savior of your life. But then there's the rest of us who long ago, by God's grace, made that choice. And we sit here as participants, citizens, in his kingdom. It's not just something that's to come, it is now. We are his sons and daughters, the Bible tells us. How awesome is that? But you know what? We are prone to wander, like the the old hymn says. We are prone to wander into our own usuals. We make up our own versions of what it is to follow him. We we do this in in too many ways where we're honoring God with with these pieces of our lives but uh, unwilling to follow him in all of it. Maybe um, license isn't our problem. Maybe we're legalists and we think we're pretty great. Just ask us. We've not only kept most of the laws but but we've created some of our own. And, and, And we feel pretty good about how we're doing. Jesus is very clear in this message. His hope for us is to follow him and him alone into what God's true righteousness is. He's going to reveal it over the next few weeks as we hang out in this sermon with him. You have heard it said, but I say to you. But if I can just share this with you as a fellow journeyer in this life with Jesus, I want less of me, less of my usual and more of Jesus and how I live my life. I want that for everybody sitting in here and everybody watching online. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Some of you, as soon as I started talking about this, you knew what this was. And you know know what needs to be repented of and and turned from. You you know what habits need to be restarted in your life so that you can honor God with your, your very best. Others of you, you may be just kind of sitting here all spiritually fat and sassy, feeling like I've arrived, but I want to ask you to pray the prayer of the Old Testament that says, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there is, lead me away from it and into who you are. It's an ongoing quest of those who follow Jesus. Would you stand? Darnish, I so just play something quietly. I'm just going to pray over us and we'll be done. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word every time I study it and get ready to uh, preach it. Um, I always ask you to preach through me. I, I pray that that's what's happened this morning, but I, I never walk away from that time, God, of preparing and thinking without... Um, just knowing that there's things in me that need to change. There's things that I need to start in this message with, with me, the messenger. Uh, but God, as, as it's been kind of laid out for all of us now, as we've understood from God uh, and, and, and from Jesus the things that you hope for us in life, that it's got to supersede the, the scribes and the Pharisees, that it's got to you know, uh, go into the, the nooks and the crannies of, of the, the least commandments, and that you want... Uh, complete devotion and and complete submission in this life with you. Lord, for those of us who know you, lead us to that. For those of us who have yet to meet you, here's my prayer. I I trust that you make appointments. Uh, If someone's watching online for the first time, that was your bidding. If someone's hanging out here just to appease someone else uh, by coming to church and getting them off their back, but they've, they've heard this message, I pray that they would hear this, that you love them that you created them for yourself and that they can, uh, by your grace and through your son, be freed of the sin that separates them from you. Lead those who don't know you yet into the way that is everlasting. I pray all of these things. By your grace, for your sake, and in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. amen. I'm gonna see you tonight, looking forward to it. God bless you as you go. Have a great week.